When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. It's a new season of the show, season number two. And we're going to start with the most famous and arguably the most popular Legends novel, Heir to the Empire, the first book in the original Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn. For those of you checking out the Star Wars Legends Lounge for the first time, I know what you're thinking, Aaron. Why didn't you just start with Heir to the Empire? And some of you longtime listeners are probably thinking the same thing. Well, you know, when I started this little show, I didn't really plan anything out. I'm just sort of winging it. So you'll just have to go with it. I hope everyone had a pleasant and restful holiday season for those of you that celebrate the holidays. Unfortunately, if you followed me on Twitter, you know that I caught COVID just before Christmas. Locally, my symptoms were mild. I really just had a runny nose and a bit of a cough. That's kind of lingered, so we'll see how the show goes today. So I was in isolation until a few days before the new year. I'm feeling better, but uh, my cough has lingered a little bit. But I am so psyched to be back doing the podcast tonight. There's no listener question this week, but I have something really cool for the second part of the episode. Two of our listeners have sent in messages with their opinions on Heir to the Empire. So, you'll get to hear what friends of the show, Matt Thacker and Rusar Vareth, have to say. I think it's awesome. I'd love to do more of this in the future. Now, one more announcement before we get into today's episode. If you follow the show's Twitter account, at LegendsLounge1, you'll see that the schedule for the entire year is now up. And again, we're jumping all around the Legends timeline. We're going from the original trilogy era to the prequel trilogy era to the ancient past and to the era where the Skywalkers and the Solos are entering old age. It's a mix of the most popular Legends novels, the ones that I've read numerous times, some of the final 18 Legends books that I have not yet read, and some requests from the listeners. Just go to the show's Twitter page and check out the pinned tweet. If you'd like to get in touch with the podcast to ask a question or give your opinion, please feel free to contact the show. You can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at Legends Lounge 1. And if the response to today's listener voices is positive, I'd love to do more of that in the future. I'll go over how to make that happen at the end of the show. Now, 
It's time for today's book, Heir to the Empire by Timothy Zahn. Grab yourself a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Today's plot summary is going to be a little shorter. Most Legends fans know what happens in this book, but a little bit of history first. Heir to the Empire was published in 1991. George Lucas wanted the adventures of Luke, Leia, and Han to continue, but at that time, he did not believe he was going to make films 7, 8, and 9 from his original Star Wars outlines. So Lucasfilm hired Timothy Zahn and Tim Veitch, to start this era of the Expanded Universe. There were a few Expanded Universe stories prior to this, but none of them took place after Return of the Jedi. Zahn's stories, the Heir to the Empire trilogy, were first. They were set five years after the events of Return of the Jedi. Veitch's story, the Dark Empire trilogy, follows about two years after that. Now, many of you know there are reports that Zahn and Veitch didn't really get along. They have pretty big egos. Now, I'm not going to go over everything here. If you want to read about it, you can Google it. You can find it on the internet. But what I find interesting is how the different visions are of the post-Return of the Jedi story by these two authors. Personally, I prefer Zahn's version. And I think most fans of Legends prefer Zahn's vision over Veitch's. But I think it's important to discuss it as the stories go forward in the timeline, as some legend stories discard aspects of the Zahn trilogy and the Veitch comics, and others try to reconcile the differences between the two. It can make things pretty confusing to the reader, and these continuity issues in a lot of the legend stories are some of the biggest issues that people have when trying to read them. I get it. I understand these issues can turn people off to legends, particularly the stories that take place after Return of the Jedi. All I can say is, the way I settle these continuity issues in my own head is that I just disregard most of the Dark Empire comics, cherry-picking the aspects of that story that are important to the Legends timeline moving forward like the birth of Han and Leia's youngest son, Anakin Solo. So, that's just something to keep in mind if you want to get into Legends, and if you find some things confusing. Remember, many of these issues come from the different visions that Timothy Zahn and Tom Veitch had for the post-Return of the Jedi universe, way back when the old expanded universe really started to get going. Heir of the Empire begins five years after the Battle of Endor. The Empire is in shambles, but the New Republic is struggling to set up an effective government, and Luke Skywalker is struggling a little bit personally. He's the last Jedi Knight in the galaxy, and feels the pressure of reforming the Order. The spirit of Obi-Wan Kenobi appears to Luke in a dream and tells him farewell, that Luke no longer needs his guidance. But he tells Luke to keep his mind open, that Luke will meet other allies and other Force users who will need his help. In the Outer Rim, the Imperial Star Destroyer Chimera receives confirmation of an information raid on the Abroa Sky System. K-2 
Captain Jalad Pelion updates Grand Admiral Thrawn about the raid when the ship alarms sound. The Imperial Task Force has been followed by the Obroa Sky Security. Thrawn orders TIE fighters to perform a Marg Sable maneuver. This surprises Pelion, who's confused as how a fighter attack can possibly defeat the Obroa Sky Task Force. But the maneuver works, with Thrawn taking advantage of a psychological blind spot of the Eloman captain of the Abroa Sky forces. How does he come to this conclusion? Study a species art, Thrawn tells Pelion. After the battle, Thrawn analyzes the stolen information and tells Pelion they now have everything they need to destroy the New Republic. The Chimera travels to the planet Merkur and meets with the smuggler Talon Card and his lieutenant Mara Jade. The two help the Grand Admiral collect E. Salamiri, grayish-brown lizard-type creatures that live in the trees. The E. Salamiri have developed a unique evolutionary quirk, the ability to produce bubbles that push away the force. A single E. Salamiri can produce a bubble up to 10 meters, but large groups of the animals can produce these empty force bubbles for several kilometers. Thrawn takes the E. Salamiri to the mid-rim world of Wayland, where Emperor Palpatine kept a secret storehouse of weapons and technology. The Grand Admiral expects to meet the Emperor's Guardian, but instead he finds Jedi Master Jeruus Sabayoth. Sabayoth tells Thrawn he killed the Guardian and assumed control over the city at the base of the Emperor's storehouse. Sabayoth attacks Thrawn and Pelion, but his Force Lightning dissipates when it approaches the two. Confused, Sabayoth demands Thrawn tell him what happened. The Grand Admiral points to the East Salamiri on his shoulder and explains how they can stop the Force. Thrawn tells the Jedi Master that he needs his help coordinating Imperial attacks on the New Republic. In exchange, the Grand Admiral promises to deliver Sabayoth two Jedi for him to train, Luke Skywalker and his sister, Leia Organa Solo. And as a bonus, Thrawn tells Sabayoth that Leia is pregnant with Force-sensitive twins. Sabayoth agrees and allows the Empire to enter the storehouse. There they find a ship's cloaking device and Spartai cylinders, what Thrawn calls a small, trivial piece of technology. Later aboard the Chimera, Captain Pelion tells Thrawn about his reservations about Sabayoth. The Grand Admiral tells Pelion, that's not Joris Sabayoth. It's a clone of the Jedi Master. The real Sabayoth was killed in the Old Republic's outbound flight project before the Clone Wars, destroyed in Chiss space. When Pelion asks Thrawn how he knows this, the Grand Admiral admits that he, Thrawn, was the Chiss task force commander that destroyed outbound flight. Thrawn tells Pelion that they will only need Sabayoth for a while, but until they're finished with him, they'd better send one of their squads of Nogri to capture Luke and Leia. Nalea is sent to the planet Bimasari to try to bring the planet into the New Republic. Luke and Han accompany her on the mission, but Leia's meeting with the Bimasari negotiator is delayed when he becomes sick. While they tour separate parts of the capital city, the Nogri attack. Luke defeats one squad in an art museum, killing the aliens with his lightsaber. He then hurries to the city market and helps Han and Leia escape in the Millennium Falcon. 
They flee the planet and return to Coruscant, detailing the attack. Thrawn launches his first offense against the New Republic, a three-prong attack that's part hit-and-run and part test for Sabaoth. One of the planets the Empire hits is Bitfash. The New Republic sends Leia and Han to Bitfash to help in the aftermath of the attack, while Luke decides to return to Dagobah after having a vision. On Dagobah, Luke finds some sort of radio transmitter in the cave where he fought a vision of Darth Vader years ago. The transmitter looks like one of the types used during the Clone Wars, but R2-D2 recognizes some of the markings on the side of it, some of the same markings from Cloud City. Luke decides to find Lando Calrissian on the planet Naklan to find out more about the transmitter. Meanwhile, on Bitfash, the Nogri attack, trying to kidnap Leia again. The Solos escape, but Han decides not to return to Coruscant. He's suspicious of an information leak. He thinks that he and Leia can hire a slicer to infiltrate the New Republic communications system and find the leak. But where to find the slicer? Leia asks. I don't know, Han admits, but I know who will. Lando. On Naklan, Lando shows off the new mining facility he's running. While he gives his friends a tour, the Empire attacks, stealing 51 of Lando's mole miners, machines that hold a small crew and can drill into the planet. During the attack, Luke hears a voice through the Force, telling him to go to the planet Jomark. Following the battle, Han sends Leia and Chewbacca to Chewie's homeworld of Kashyyyk, hoping for her to lay low with the Wookiees, while he and Lando head to Merker to hire a slicer from the smuggler Talon Card. Meanwhile, Luke heads to Jomark, but on the way, his X-Wing is pulled out of hyperspace. It's an ambush. Grand Admiral Thrawn wants to capture Luke and then decide whether or not to give him to Sabaoth. Luke escapes the trap and jumps to hyperspace, but he damages his hyperdrive in the process and is marooned about a light year away. Luckily for Luke, he's picked up by Talon Card. Unfortunately, he's taken captive and brought to Merker. Under questioning, Card tells Luke that it wasn't happenstance that they found him drifting in space. It was Mara Jade. She had sensed Luke's X-Wing drifting and brought their ship to him. While Card tries to figure out what to do with Luke, Han and Lando arrive. They want information about the new Imperial commander, to hire a slicer, and they offer to hire Card's organization to help the New Republic transport cargo. While they negotiate, the Empire arrives to gather more Isalamiri. Card asks Han and Lando to hide while he talks to Thrawn. As Imperial ships descend on the planet, Luke escapes custody and steals a skipray blast boat. Mara Jade pursues in her own. The two collide and crash into the jungle. Now Thrawn and the Imperials witness the incident as they are descending on Card's compound. When the Grand Admiral asks about what happened, Card tries to play it off as a disgruntled employee who stole some equipment and tried to escape. He tells Thrawn, don't worry about it. But the Grand Admiral sends a squadron of stormtroopers and biker scouts to help Card's organization search the crash site. While Thrawn gathers the East Alamiri and leaves Merker to continue with his plans to attack the Sluis Van shipyard. Of course, Han and Lando have some questions about all they've just seen, and they soon learn that Card was holding Luke captive. When they question the smuggler, 
Card says that if Luke and Mara had survived the crash, the nearest place for them to exit the jungle is in the nearby town of Hilliard City. Han and Lando agree to help Card set up an ambush for the Imperial scouting party. As they approach Hilliard City, Luke asks Mara why she's being so hostile to him. Mara says she hates Luke, that he ruined her life. When Luke asks what it was he did to her, Mara says she was the Emperor's hand. Palpatine's personal operative who worked from the shadows and could hear the Emperor's voice from anywhere in the galaxy. When the Emperor died, it left Mara without a purpose. But she says she's rebuilt her life over the last five years and now considers it her duty to the Emperor to destroy Luke. When Luke and Mara emerge from the jungle, they're taken captive by the Imperials and marched to the town square. As they pass under a massive stone arch, Card's people attack, trapping the stormtroopers. The fighting is fierce, and Lando is wounded, taking a blaster bolt to the shoulder. As the battle reaches a crescendo, Luke calls to Artu, who has Luke's lightsaber hidden in his dome. With three quick swings, Luke slices through the pillars of the archway, sending tons of stone crashing down to the ground, crushing the Imperials. Our heroes leave Merker on the Millennium Falcon and head to the medical facility at nearby Sluis Van to get Lando treatment. Meanwhile, on Kashyyyk, Leia and Chewie are hiding out in one of the Wookiee cities when the Nogris attack again. One of the aliens grabs Leia from behind and then unexpectedly backs off, kneeling in front of her. After the Wookiees kill the rest of the attackers, Leia and Chewie interrogate the survivor. He identifies himself as Kabarak from Clan Kimbar and calls Leia the Malariush, the daughter of the Lord Darth Vader. Kabarak tells Leia that when the Nogri world of Hanagra suffered a disaster during the Galactic Civil War, it was Vader that came to their aid. In response, the Nogri pledged their service to the Empire. Leia requests a chance to visit Hanagra to see if the New Republic can help the Nogri. Kabarak is skeptical, but promises to take Leia's offer back home. If the Nogri accept Leia's request, Kabarak promises to rendezvous with her in orbit over Endor in one month. At Sluis Van, Wedge Antilles and Rogue Squadron are on escort duty. Several new Republic warships are being used to haul cargo, working with less than 10% of their usual crews. While escorting one of the cruisers, Wedge spots a damaged bulk freighter moving through the shipyards. But he senses something's not right. The freighter doesn't have an escort of its own. When Wedge calls up a scan of the freighter, he finds it empty. Completely empty. No crew. No cargo. Nothing. Wedge orders Rogue Squadron to investigate the freighter. As the rogues approach, the freighter explodes, ejecting TIE fighters and Lando's 51 stolen mole miners. The Millennium Falcon arrives in the system as the battle rages. Wedge informs Han as to what's happening, but he says he doesn't know what the mole miners are doing, attaching themselves to the ships docked in the maintenance bays. They don't appear to be damaging anything. They aren't, Han says. Those mole miners are carrying troops. The Empire is trying to steal the ships, not destroy them. With only the Rogues, the Falcon, 
and the severely understaffed Republic cruisers, Han realizes they don't have the firepower to stop the Empire. But he gets an idea. Lando transmits a command code to all the mole miners, turning on their laser drills, destroying the ships before the Imperials can steal them. The book ends with Leia calling the Falcon and asking Han to return to Coruscant. Admiral Akbar has been arrested on charges of treason, led by the Bothan Senator Borsk Falia. Time for a break. When we return, I'll talk more about Heir of the Empire, its popularity, and all the influences the story has had on Star Wars. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to take a moment to recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Tarkin tells the story of a scion of Iriadu. A distinguished soldier and politician, Governor Wilhuff Tarkin rises through the Imperial ranks, believing that the fear of force is the most efficient way to rule. It's a story of action and intrigue. That's Tarkin by James Luceno. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about Heir to the Empire by Timothy Zahn. It's not the first book released in Legends, but it is the story that sparked the popularity of the old expanded universe, published in 1991. Heir of the Empire was extremely well received, and it made itself on the New York Times bestseller list after it was released. When Lucasfilm hired Timothy Zahn, one request Lucas Licensing had was to incorporate some of the material from the West End Games Star Wars role-playing game released in the mid to late 80s, and to keep continuity with that role-playing game. But even though Zahn had to incorporate some of the existing quote-unquote canon in his story, what really makes Heir to the Empire special is everything that Zahn created for the Expanded Universe. As I said, when it comes to Zahn versus Tom Veitch, I prefer Zahn's vision of a post-Return of the Jedi galaxy. One of the things I think Zahn does better than Veitch is he just seems to get the character of Luke Skywalker that's coming out of Return of the Jedi. One of my favorite things about the original Thrawn trilogy that Timothy Zahn writes is how it feels like an action-adventure. It feels like one of those old serials that George Lucas was watching when he was a little kid. I mean, the action moves quickly in Heir to the Empire. You go from setting to setting, from battle to battle, but along the way, the characters feel consistent with how they were portrayed in the original Star Wars trilogy. And then to create the character Grand Admiral Thrawn, in my opinion, it's a masterpiece. I like Thrawn's character more than I like Talon Card and Marin Jade, 
myself. I do think later on in Legends, and now in the canon novels, Zahn changes Thrawn's characterization a little bit. I prefer Thrawn's character in this original trilogy, and I think that's sort of the way he's used in Star Wars Rebels. He seems to be more of a villain than in the later Legends books and in the canon Zahn books, where he doesn't seem to be as much of a villain as more of, I don't know, he almost seems to be Sherlock Holmes. And I just don't know if that works as well. But you cannot discount the popularity of this original trilogy and specifically Heir to the Empire. It is always rated up there amongst fans of Legends as their favorite book. But don't just take my word for it. Let's hear what friend of the show, Matt Thacker, thinks about Heir to the Empire. Hey everyone, Matt Thacker here. You know, Heir to the Empire, along with the other books of what's come to be called the Thrawn Trilogy, is really what I consider to be the bedrock of the Star Wars Expanded Universe. And as we're coming to see, maybe even the bedrock of the new canon books as well. I mean, I'm a music guy, so I think of it in terms of like the Beatles or Run DMC, right? The Beatles weren't the first rock and roll group to exist, nor was Run DMC the first hip-hop group out there. Not by a long shot. But the foundations they laid were deep, abiding, and strong enough for countless other artists to build from. There are bands that I like more. I don't listen to the Beatles that much. You know, I'm more Hold Steady, Dave Matthews Band, Nas. But where would those artists be without the foundations that artists like the Beatles and Run DMC established? So it's that same way with Heir to the Empire. Zahn takes a rich enough already universe and manages to make it even richer while still not losing sight of the characters we'd grown to love from the Star Wars films. Which at that time, of course, were just... The, f- the first three are episodes four, five, and six. You know, we find a Luke who's still uncertain about his place in the universe and in history as a Jedi Knight. A Leia balancing the governance of an entire galaxy with trying to build a family. You've got Han Solo trying to be the man he feels Leia needs, but feeling some dissonance reconciling that with the man he's always been. I mean, this 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 dissonance that we're feeling from these main characters is a far cry for all of them from the jubilant smiles we left them with in the Ewok village at the end of Return of the Jedi. But still, they manage to be just as heroic. And uh, Zahn writes those characters as they are, familiar to us, but also five years older. And that's really great. And for the hardcore fans... Beyond these main characters, you're still treated to uh, either big major appearances or even glimpses of Chewbacca and Lando and the droids, Admiral Akbar, Mon Mothma, Crix Maydine, and even my man Wedge Antilles, among others. So it's familiar. We feel a sense of belonging when we dive into Air of the Empire. But it's just a starting point for someone like Zahn, who then cosmically like blows the place up with new exciting and rich places and characters you ever heard of a planet called Coruscant yep Zahn came up with that one 
How about a guy named Grand Admiral Thrawn, a character so good they couldn't bear to keep him out of the new canon? Yep, Zahn. But wait, there's more. Winter, Joris Sabaoth, Gilad Peleon, Borsk Falia, the Nogri, Talon Card, Garmbel Iblis, Mara and Jade, all become recurring and some foundational characters in the Star Wars universe. And, you know, Jade, someone like Jade becomes, in my opinion, a little mishandled later on by other authors. But their int- but but her introduction by Timothy Zahn is magnificent. So, you know, to me, Heir to the Empire is Star Wars and maybe epic sci-fi at its best. There are rich characters struggling and succeeding in a galaxy that is too big for them. Yet Zahn manages to walk that fine line of the grandiose and the intimate. You know, going going back to my statement about Bedrock, I have to wonder if the expanded universe and even the new canon would be as rich if it wasn't for the heart and soul that Zahn poured into Heir to the Empire and its accompanying books. And for a shy 90s kid who had trouble-making friends and found solace, companionship, and fun in the Star Wars Expanded Universe novels, this series was life-altering. So thanks for having me, Motsi. Oh, thank you so much, Matt, for helping me out today and giving us your opinions. Thank you for bringing up Borsk Falia. I have now read Heir to the Empire six times. Of course, that means I'll be reading uh, Dark Force Rising and The Last Command for a sixth time coming up. And as much as I like Grand Admiral Thrawn, I love to hate Borskphalia. I have always loved that character. And I think Borskphalia is one of the best recurring characters in Legends as it moves later in the timeline. And he started here. And you can see the same Borsk throughout the entire timeline. He is the consummate politician. And I know some people don't really like the politics of Star Wars, but I think you need it. And Borsk Falia just makes those stories so much more meaty. I mean, when Borsk is on the page, he is just chewing the scenery up. It is so much fun when he is there. He is one of those characters that I think could easily make his way into the canon stories that they could tell post-Return of the Jedi. Maybe we'll see him. We have... You know, after the original trilogy, the sequel trilogy is 30 years away. We really haven't seen how the rebellion formed the New Republic. That 30-year stretch could be rife with a political thriller. Or we know we have the Andor series coming up later in 2022. Anyone heard of the Bothan Spy Network? You know, the ones that got the plans for the second Death Star? If you're doing a 
spy thriller type show, Borskvalia, the politician, could fit easily into that show. It is so frustrating to me that we have still not seen exactly what a Bothan looks like. And if we ever do, I hope we get to see Borskvalia somewhere in canon. Now, you were talking about Coruscant, and you are partially correct, Matt. Timothy Zahn created the name Coruscant. You know, I talked about at the beginning of the show how Lucas wanted Zahn to incorporate some of the stuff from the West End role-playing games in his story. Well, there was an all-city planet in that role-playing game, but it didn't have a name. So Zahn decided to use the planet and gave it the name Coruscant. George Lucas liked the name and then decided to continue using it when he then made his prequel movies, the Clone Wars television show, everything Star Wars afterwards. So yes, you are correct. Zahn came up with the name Coruscant. And thank you so much, Matt, for bringing up the fact that Zahn laid the foundation for the stories that would come afterward. You know, it's just not the legend stories that are influenced by the original Timothy Zahn trilogy. Canon has been influenced by it. You know, we just talked about Coruscant. Well, we've seen the Marg Sable TIE Fighter maneuver in canon. Dave Filoni liked the description of that maneuver so much that he incorporated it into the Clone Wars television show in one of the episodes. I believe it's in season one. It's either in season one or two. It's one of the early episodes where Ahsoka leads an attack squadron of clone fighters and they use the same maneuver where they position the capital ship to where the base of the ship is facing the enemy. The fighters can launch out the top to where the enemy can't see where they're launching and then they curve around the capital ship in two different directions in a pincer maneuver trapping the opposition in between the fighters. Timothy Zahn came up with that in Heir to the Empire. Dave Filoni liked it so much, he used it in his Clone Wars cartoon. And of course, we see how Heir to the Empire is being cherry-picked going forward in canon. But, don't take my word for it, let's hear friend of the show, Rusar Vareth. Hello there. My name is Rosar Vares. Let me take a few minutes to talk about why I think Lucasfilm is currently developing a canon adaptation of Heir to the Empire. It's not a new theory or anything, but I wanted to share with you all the clues I was able to find in the recent canon. Oh, and I apologize in advance for my English, as it's not my native language. So here we go. Why I think a live-action canon version of Heir to the Empire is coming. First of all, obviously, Grand Admiral Throne was made canon by the TV show Star Wars Rebels, and then got six canon books written by Timothy Zahn himself. A lot of stuff from his Legends version were made canon as well, like his bodyguard Rook or his BFF Admiral Pallion. Shortly before the Battle of Yavin, 
Admiral Throne is sent into an unknown location in space, so he is not present during the fall of the Empire. Fast forward a few years, post-episode 6, in the TV show The Mandalorian, we meet a character called Morgan Elbes, who seems to be building spaceships. She works for Throne and seems to know where he is. You'll notice that her battle droids wear Throne's insignia on their heads. Ahsoka Tano is currently looking for Throne, so we'll probably see him in the upcoming Ahsoka TV show. It's also worth mentioning that Mantantis was recently introduced at the end of the Bad Batch Season 1 as a cloning facility, just like it was in Legends. And finally, from the trailers for the Book of Boba Fett, it seems that Fett is going to try and rule the criminal underworld, so maybe we'll assume the role of talent card in Legends. Uh, I could be way off on this one. Well, that was a quick summary of all the little clues I could find. Let me know if I missed some. Thank you all for listening. Quick shout out to Matt and Scad from Davos Fingers. Love your podcast, guys, but really not looking forward to a Song of Madness this year. And Aaron, thank you for your work on your podcast, obviously. I love Canon, but it's great to still have people who talk about legends. Bye, everyone. Thank you very much, Rusar, for that contribution. Uh, Nice little shout out there to the Davos Fingers podcast at the end. Yes, we have six Thrawn books now in canon. And just as you said, at the end of Rebels, just before the events of A New Hope, Thrawn is ushered off into the unknown regions of the galaxy. He's taken off the table. So he's now in that area of the galaxy where he is at the beginning of Heir to the Empire. And, like you said, at the end of The Bad Batch, Season 1, we see Mount Tantus. And they've brought in a Kaminoan clone researcher. So we can assume that that is some sort of cloning facility. Now, one question I have about that is we see Mount Tantus roughly 18 years before the events of A New Hope. How does that match up with our timeline with Heir to the Empire? Well, it still could. Obviously, if the Emperor has a storehouse, he may have been storing things there for decades. This could be the beginning of the Mount Tantus storehouse. We already know from the events of the Mandalorian that they were using Grogu's DNA for some sort of cloning operation. Is his DNA being used at Mount Tantus during the time of the Mandalorian? And if it is, who's running that research facility? Is it Thrawn? Has he made his way back from the unknown regions? So that could match up. You could be exactly right with that, Rusar. As to your last little point, with Boba Fett assuming the role of Talon Card. Very possible. I think that's a little premature myself. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. I still think that Talon Card is a character that could easily be incorporated into canon. I don't think Mary Jade can, but I think Talon Card, the smuggler slash information broker, can easily be incorporated into canon, and I still think that's going to happen somewhere 
in the future. And I think that could happen at any point of the timeline. I think that could be in the Andor series. I think that could be in a proposed Han Solo series, you know, one that takes place prior to A New Hope, after the events of Solo, a Star Wars story. I think Talon Card can be used in any of these shows in, you know, what's been dubbed the Mandoverse, five years after the events of Return of the Jedi. He might show up in next season's Mandalorian. He could show up in this Book of Boba Fett. I still think Talon Card is one of those characters to look out for in the future. But I could be wrong, and you could be exactly right. Boba Fett could be a character that, while not consolidating how the criminal underworld works, consolidating the flow of information within the criminal underworld. He could be, but I still think there's a good chance we get talent card in the future. So, heir to the Empire, what works for me is that it feels like the original trilogy. And as you listeners know, I think those are the three best Star Wars films. I think Heir to the Empire really gets the action-adventure serial right. And I think it gets the Return of the Jedi characterizations of Luke, Han, and Leia right. And it just opens up an entire universe of storytelling possibilities. But are there a few things that don't work for me? Yes. We'll address the Mara Jade situation. I am not as big a fan of Mara Jade as a lot of Legends fans. Now, I am not like George Lucas and who reportedly hated Mara Jade, although there are conflicting reports as to the reason why he hated Mara Jade. Go ahead, Google them. You can find them. I do not dislike Mara Jade. Her character just didn't resonate with me as much as it did with other fans of Legends. And I think the reason goes back to The Empire Strikes Back. The one scene in all of Star Wars that, for me, defines what George Lucas intended for the Force and for the saga is Luke training on Dagobah and Yoda explaining the Force. I still think that's the most important scene in the entire Star Wars saga. Film, television, books, comics, games, whatever. For me, that's the most important scene. And when Yoda explains that once you start drawing on the dark side, that it will dominate your destiny forever, I sometimes have an issue with characters that came back to the light side of the force but without seemingly having to make restitution. You know, I know a lot of people say that Anakin made his way back to the light at the end of Return of the Jedi, and I agree. But I think that Anakin had to die. 
because if he would have lived, what do you do? Do you just say, oh, well, for 20 some odd years, you helped enslave the galaxy, were responsible for the deaths of billions, but that's when you were under the influence of the dark side of the force. Now that your son says you've made your way back to the light side, all is forgiven. No. What would Anakin have to do to pay some sort of restitution for that? And that is the one issue I always had with the Mara Jade character. You know, I never thought she was a bad character. I think she's pretty interesting. It's just nowhere in Legends do we ever see Mara really being held accountable for the things she did when she worked for the Empire. And maybe that is the main reason why George Lucas didn't like her. But I think I would have enjoyed her character more if not only did I see her struggling working with the New Republic, working with Luke Skywalker, eventually, spoiler alert, marrying Luke Skywalker, but to have the galaxy struggle with her, knowing the crimes that she committed under the influence of the Emperor and the dark side of the Force. And I just don't think we had that much in Legends. So, time to wrap up. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge. And thank you so much again to Matt Thacker and to Rusar Vareth for their contributions to today's show. I think it really makes it a community show. If you guys would like to add your voice to theirs, please feel free to record your own three to five minute audio file and email it to the show's Gmail account, swlegendslounge at gmail.com. Just check out the schedule of the upcoming shows on the podcast Twitter page. And if you see a book that you have an opinion on, please send me an audio file, add your voice to the show. Just help me out when you do and record it in an MP3 or MP4 format. Now, on the next episode, it's book two of the series, Dark Force Rising. Tune in January 21st for that. If you have a question or comment for the show, send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or a tweet at legendslounge1. I'd love to hear from you. And also, if you got a really cool Star Wars gift over the holiday season, let me know. Send me some pictures. I love looking at that stuff. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. Remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends. <laughs>